Last week, our family went to visit my folks in Tampa, Florida. And before we got down there, my dad gave us this very generous gift. He gave us a gift of swimming with the manatees. So I knew the trip was gonna be a success when we arrived to the pontoon boat and they had told us there would be snacks on the boat and there was literally this bin filled with junk food. So we hadn't even seen a manatee yet and the boys were in heaven, getting to have Fritos at 10 a.m. Our first manatee that we came upon was a pregnant mama. She was 1,300 pounds, and all she was interested in doing was eating. And so she just, you'd go underwater and you'd hear the cutest little sound of her munching on the ground. But then the highlight of the trip was we came upon this manatee pup that wanted to play. And so Logan was kind of hovering on the top of the water and the, and the pup would go down and then come up so that it was like he could hug it. it. It looked like this manatee wanted to cuddle with him. Well, eventually we had to leave, so we get on the boat and the pup follows us. It like didn't want to leave. It wanted us to stay and play. As we're driving back to the dock, our captain, Captain Peter, says to us, okay, y'all, when we get back to the house we need you to not talk about your experience because you know what you've had is, is a rare experience. You don't always get this rare pup, this manatee pup that will play with you and I wouldn't want people's expectations to get up. And then he quickly goes to, but if you are very pleased with your experience, you are welcome to leave a tip <laughs> and we would love it if you would rate us on TripAdvisor. We won't take anything less than five stars. And as I reflected on that experience, I thought, oh my gosh, this is happening so much to me lately. You go to a restaurant or you go to a resort or you go to a hotel, anywhere, and, and then you're asked to kind of give it a rating. Or conversely, you go to a restaurant that maybe you didn't have the best experience or the service was too slow or the food was poor and then you want to write a negative review on TripAdvisor. So I wonder, what would you say if you were asked to rate Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church? Imagine, during the benediction today, instead of saying my normal benediction, I say, listen, I wanna thank you all for being here and we would appreciate if you would leave us a tip. And also, could you please go on TripAdvisor and rate us and give us five stars? Well, I don't want you to answer that yet. I don't want you to answer that yet. During this season of Lent, we're looking at a variety of experiences and places that Jesus encountered on this journey to the cross. The first week we looked at part of this journey to the cross involves change, and Jesus himself was literally transfigured up on that mountain. And last week, Stacy preached about how this journey to the cross involves blessing and not in the way that we necessarily think of that word. And today, we're going to look again at the Gospel of Mark at, at how the journey to the cross involves cleansing. Jesus goes into the temple courts and he does some cleaning of house. And if I was to, to rename the title of the scripture, I would name it this, the cleansing of our hearts Rating not available. Listen to this word from Mark. Then they came to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. 
And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard him say this, they kept looking for a way to kill him. They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There are two things that are involved when Jesus does this cleansing of the temple. The scripture tells us that the first thing that he does is that he casts out all of those who were buying and selling. And then the second thing he does is he overturns tables and chairs. Why does Jesus first cast out the people that are there? Remember, this is Passover. This is when literally the the city of Jerusalem held between 10 and 20,000 residents. But then once a year during Passover, hundreds of thousands of male Jews that lived within a certain distance of the city, they came. It used to be that they had to come three times a year for the three holy festivals, but because of the Jewish dispersion, it had been limited to just this one time, this one Passover meal that they were to come and and worship. A key element of Passover worship that's very different than today for a modern day Jew, but was very important for a first first century Jew was animal sacrifice. So I, I struggle because the people that were there buying and selling were just helping the Jews do what they were supposed to do. I mean, people had traveled from all over. It's not like they traveled with their doves. And so they got to worship, and and in order to do the right thing, they would have had to buy a dove. So I feel feel bad for the sellers. I feel bad for the sellers because, you know, they were just trying to make a, a living. And then I feel bad for the consumers. I mean, these people had walked, you know, dozens of miles to get there, and they're just trying to be faithful. So why is Jesus so upset that the scripture tells us that he casts them out. I think the reason that Jesus was so upset is because Jesus takes worship very seriously. It is something that is really, really important to God. In fact, the reason humanity was created was to be in relationship with God and the primary way that we are in relationship with God is through worship. I'm not talking about the 8.15 hour on Sunday morning or the 10.30 hour on Sunday morning. I'm talking about this constant living of life where we are in praise and prayer and communication with the living God. This is so important that um, if you'll put up that, that question, Logan, that 450, over 450 years ago, when our four reformers, they wrote this thing called the, the Westminster Catechism. How many of you, when you were going through confirmand class, had to memorize the Westminster Catechism? Oh, that's what I thought. And you confirmands thought you had it hard. This was way difficult. They had to memorize 100 questions. And look what the very first question is. What is the chief end of the human life? In other words, what is our primary purpose in life? And it is to worship God and enjoy God forever. 
Y'all, this is literally what we were created to do. And so something has to have changed in those temple courts that day that Jesus thought, you're getting it wrong. Jesus cleanses the temple courts and the first thing that he cleans out are the people's who focus is to consume. They're there to consume worship. And this was made evident to me. You can go ahead and take that down, that slide down, Logan. This was made evident to me this past week. I was so excited. I went to my home church in Tampa, Florida, and I remember waking up, and, I, and the Holy Spirit was just really speaking, oh, you're going to get this chance to just sit and be part of worship. And I was so excited and I got there with my mom, and as we're getting ready to walk in, she wants to walk in the side door. I said, no, I want to walk through the front door. I want to see how they greet me. <laughs> and then as I sat down to worship, you know what I started doing? Checking out the robes. How did the choir robes look? How did, it, how did the bulletin look? And all I kept doing was just criticizing and thinking, I don't know if, I, if that prayer of confession spoke to me. I don't know if I liked the way they did that version of the hymn. And, and then as I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am just consuming. I have made this into my own just time to be consumed. There was no worship going on. I was just consuming. This is such a big deal to Jesus. You know, this uh, primal thing they were supposed to do was to bring the sacrifice, right? And yet all throughout scripture, we see Jesus and God saying, I don't really care about the sacrifice. It's the state of your heart. Listen to what Psalm 51 says. You, God, have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice that is acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That is what God wants from us in worship, is a broken and contrite heart. The reason the buyers and sellers are cast out, they were just going through the motions. Maybe their heart was not in it. So I wonder about us. How many of us come to worship and seek to consume something while we are here? You see, that day, last Sunday, the spirit of God that had woken me up and had urged me to be in, in a worship experience where I was worshiping in spirit and truth with a broken and contrite heart, it had so quickly been consumed by a spirit of criticism, a spirit of pride, and honestly, a, a spirit of self-focus. I think most of us come into worship and we are eager to get something from this one hour of praise, prayer, and word. And if you're anything like me, though, I'm quick to act like a consumer and almost rate my worship experience like a mental trip advisor when I leave. How'd that sermon speak to me? What'd I think? Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out those who were selling, and those who were buying. So after Jesus drives out the consumers, the, the next thing that the scripture says is that he starts overturning tables and chairs. You're not going to believe what the Greek word is for overturn. Catastrophe. Catastrophe. 
He caused a catastrophe. So when you and I think of catastrophe, we think of, you know, when tragedy befalls us or befalls an area, that is catastrophic, we say, right? But you see, the original meaning for the word catastrophe, it just meant to take that which had been accepted as normal and then upside down it. The things that had become everyday and routine and okay, and this is how we do it because this is how we do it and we've always done it. Jesus came in and he makes it catastrophe. He turns it upside down. The Greeks later used this word to describe at the end of a play when tragedy befell the main character, it was called catastrophe. You see, what had become normal for people, notice what the money changers are not doing. The money changers are not worshiping. They're sitting at the table. It had become normal for somebody within the community to say, you know what, I don't have to do this worship God thing because I just need to make some money. And this is what we know about the people sitting at the tables. We know that people were coming from all around and and there was a certain coin in Jerusalem that that would would have been the way that you could purchase a dove or purchase a bird, right? Well, maybe these people coming from outer countries, they didn't have that. And so there had to be somebody sitting there exchanging coin. But we know from the scripture that, you see, they were making a profit off of the exchange because what does Jesus call them? Robbers. He calls them robbers. It's the same word that Jesus uses for the people that come upon the man in the Good Samaritan story and they strip him and they beat him and they steal from him. They rob him. You see, Jesus cannot stand a cheat. I wonder, whatever you call it, cheating, stealing, skimming, skirting, ignoring, Jesus is not okay with robbing people. I wonder if the real catastrophe is the same that we experience now and it's the same thing that Jesus spoke about more than anything else is that we are spending too much time at the money changing table. We are spending too much time focusing on storing up for ourselves treasures on this earth. So we make more, so we can spend more, so we can save more. Jesus' cleansing involves really turning over the priorities in our lives and asking ourselves, what is most important? And then it hit me, oh my goodness, the two things that, that Jesus does, he first, he casts out, and then he overturns that they're related. You have people that are coming into worship that day that were focused on consuming or selling. You had people that were coming in that day focused on making a little bit more coin. Maybe the thing that Jesus was cleansing was not just the temple courts, but he sought to cleanse their hearts. What would Jesus want to drive out from our hearts What needs to be cleansed from our minds? What is our reason, our purpose, our intention when we come to worship? Do we need to take a hard look at our priorities? And believe me, when I think about this, when I think about like taking some real time and analyzing what's going on in my heart, I just get exhausted thinking about it. I know most of us, I mean, we are all trying our best to be the best parent, the best partner, 
best friend, the best colleague, the best Austinite, whatever. We are trying to do the best that we can. And so it's like, gosh, Emily, you're asking us to do one more thing. It's just too exhausting. But then I went back and I, I did a little bit more digging into, into this, what it would have been like for Jesus to be in that temple. And you know, the mental image that I had always had was that Jesus had kind of come into this small room and there was you know, a few tables and he got mad and he turned them over a few seats and then he cast everybody out. Well, it turns out that the temple courts are about the size of Zilker Park. And the number of people that would have been there would, about, would have been about as many people at Austin City Limits in a day. There was probably 75,000 people in that court. There's no way that Jesus went in and like, like had some, he went like this and like all of a sudden beams went out and then all the tables were turned over. That's not what happened. You see, when Jesus went into the temple, he didn't point out all the people that were jealous. He didn't point out all the people that had hatred or envy in their heart. He went to this one section and he gave them a talking to, he gave them a cleansing. And then I realized, you see, the reason I get exhausted thinking about Jesus cleansing my heart because I picture this big, huge ordeal. And he's like, no, I just want to focus on one part of you. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us to think about what is that one part of my heart that needs to be cleansed as I journey to the cross. As I was talking about this with the staff, they pointed out, they said, oh my gosh, we've got to give people time to do that. We've got to give people the space to really reflect. And so that's what we're going to do now. The band is going to be playing some music. You are welcome to, to sing or just listen. And I want you to really dig in and I want you to think about this, y'all. What is getting in the way of me being able to worship with my whole heart? What type of spirit and heart do I bring before the Lord? Have I become a consumer of worship and of my faith? What part of my life has taken priority over my faith? What are those things that, that seem to be more important than my relationship with God right now? And if Jesus were to come in here right now, what would Jesus wanna turn over? Some of you um, I know might not be able to or not desire to come forward now during this time, and I want to encourage you, we will leave these out. Feel free to come forward after worship. But I want you to come up to one of these canvases, and I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all what I need to cleanse. So I have got to let Jesus cleanse the spirit of criticism that is pervading me. So feel free to draw, to write a word. Don't sign it. Let, let's let Jesus come in and cleanse our hearts.